You're listening to WXAN, and we're joined today from wirepoints.org by Matt Rosenberg. Matt, thank you so much for the time. Hey, it's my pleasure to join you, Will. Thank you. So tell me, what is your role with uh, WirePoints? I recently joined as senior editor. I'm very excited about that. I'm covering crime, courts, and policing, as well as education and ethics, corruption, and governance. So I've got a few good things on my plate. Well, unfortunately, you have fertile ground to investigate in the state of Illinois. Before you came to WirePoints, tell us just a little bit more about your background, uh, professionally, educationally, etc. Sure. I grew up on the south side of Chicago, South Shore neighborhood, Hyde Park, Bronzeville. Started my college career here. Had a chance to work on uh, a great uh, undercover corruption investigation way back when I was a wet-behind-the-ears young man, uh, something called the Mirage Tavern Investigation, which documented uh, shakedowns by City of Chicago inspectors of small businesses. Uh, later, I went into journalism. I've been in journalism and public policy for more than three decades, and recently I wrote a book called What Next Chicago? Notes of a Pissed-Off Native Son. And that brought me back here, and one thing led to another, and here I am at WirePoints. Well, I talked about your column, Mass Incarceration, a weaponized myth, yesterday on the program. And I thought that it was nicely put together and brought out some facts and information that are not often talked about in the state of Illinois. And I really wanted to bring you on to help flesh this out some more. The term mass incarceration, you say in this column it has been uh, weaponized in Illinois. In what way uh, has it been weaponized? Politicians and advocacy groups use it in a way that is meant to cause us to look down at our shoes and shame and concede somehow that there's an authoritarian police state. And the implication is very much a racialized one, particularly in and around Chicago. The implication is that there is some sort of undercurrent of racism designed to put black men and women in jail. And the whole idea is to deflect, first of all, any inquiry into the numbers, which I did, and you know, essentially disprove the thesis. It's also meant to deflect any notion of personal responsibility in the role of family and parents. The idea is always, and it's a very simple, old-fashioned and very false idea, the idea is still, you know, society did it. Whatever the problem for the, you know, less it less fortunate, somehow society has done this, that people have no personal agency. And that's always been a thing that has stuck in my crop, particularly as our cities have blown up in the wake of George Floyd. Matt Rosenberg with us from wirepoints.org. And so when you looked at the numbers, what are the numbers in terms of the number of people that are incarcerated in Illinois? Sure. We tried to translate this into something people could understand. Um, They expressed the numbers uh, as a rate per 100,000. So we converted that to percentages in Illinois. Bottom line number here is that the percent of the adult population that is behind bars, and this is in local, state, and federal jails or prisons, the percent is one half of one 
percent. And now that's in 2019. We included in our article data from 2013 to 2019 um, because stopping at 2019 uh, because, you know, after that, they started emptying out the jails even more due to COVID. And I'm not necessarily taking issue with that. Um, but it's it's the most reliable year to look at. Um, the last typical year, if you will, and basically prison populations have been going down. Now, if you add in people on probation and parole, it goes up. That's another one and one quarter percent of the population. So advocacy groups like to talk about the, quote, justice involved, unquote, population, meaning either behind bars or on probation or parole. So if you want to use that broader definition, the justice involved population of Illinois is about one and three quarters percent. Uh, nationally, the numbers are slightly higher, but not much more. Uh, then, well, there's a whole nother way of slicing it, and we knew people would be curious, and, and that's by race. So to cut right to the chase, and then I'll take a breath. Um, 2% of the black population in Illinois is incarcerated as of 2019, 2.16%. That's the highest by far. And so there's a conversation that flows from that, and we understand that. Uh, whites, uh, one quarter of 1%, Latinos, one half of 1%. And here's the real gobsmacker, Will, although perhaps not for Asians, four one-hundredths of one percent are incarcerated. Um, so those are the results by race. Again, we are joined by Matt Rosenberg from wirepoints.org. We're talking about this idea of mass incarceration in the state of Illinois. I did a little bit of research in preparation for this interview, and I found it interesting that Illinois, on a percentage basis, is basically in line with its neighbors. Indiana has a little under 1% of its uh, population in prison. Same thing goes for Missouri. Iowa has about a half a percent of their residents in prison or jail. And so Illinois is basically in line, and this was just with a very quick Google search and running a few numbers with most of its neighbors. Uh, Does that have any bearing into this conversation? Well, I think it does, Will, as part of a broader national trend. And Pew Research uh, issued a report just last year looking at the national figures, which peaked in the year 2008 with nationwide 2.3 million people behind bars. Now, the population over age 19, which is what I was able to get from the census for that year of 2008 uh, was so great that that 2.3 million people uh, represented, you know, like 1.1% of the adult population. Um, So it's never been that great uh, a percent, even when the number was at its peak. And quite apart from COVID, all of our states, where most of the prisoners reside, by the way, state prisons and our federal prison system, and certainly our local jails, local and county jails, uh, had already been on a downward trend. And it is part of something broader called decarceration, um, 
where the idea is, you know, it's basically unjust to have people behind bars, uh, you know, except in the most egregious cases. The problem, of course, is that we're seeing violent crime and property crime increase, certain crimes at least, uh, in a lot of our cities in Illinois. Now, you know, there's still an argument that I've gotten back at me from, particularly from black folks. I was on a black radio station in Chicago talking about this, and the host made a point that, well, still, it's disproportional because, you know, there are many times more black people in the jails, regardless of the percentages uh, of the black population that are out of jail, which is 98% of them in Illinois. He said it's still unbalanced if you look at the racial makeup of the jail population. And he and some of his callers said that is because of innate uh, uh, prejudices within the policing profession and even the judicial system. And I guess my response is, well, I wonder what the right number is. Should the population of, of jails be apportioned according to strict racial population formulas? And I just don't think we can do that. I think people have to be held accountable for their actions. Then I'll tell you, you got to try real hard to be put into jail up here in greater Chicagoland these days. So, um, but, but suffice it to say, there are still spirited um, discussions which occur around uh, around these numbers and uh, and this contention, this argument that I'm making that there really is no such thing as mass incarceration. And it's interesting. We see yesterday that there is a rollout of some legislation by uh, Democrats in the Illinois General Assembly that they claim are measures that will get a little bit more tough on crime because they're hearing from their uh, constituents and neighbors that crime is a real problem and uh, they're trying to do something about it and so uh, you know it seems as the pendulum swings back and forth that um, maybe the pendulum has swung too far to the uh, liberal side on this particular issue of how the judicial system should work and maybe ever so slightly swinging back in the other direction as the real life implications of the policies that have been adopted play themselves out in our communities. They're feeling some heat, the Democrats in Springfield are, and well they should, they passed a bill last year, as you know, a comprehensive so-called criminal justice reform bill that was almost 800 pages long and was passed in the dead of the night in the waning hours of the lame duck session and like uh, the health care bill in congress many years ago they they had to pass it to see what was in it and it turned out there was some really not good stuff in it um things that make the environment for policing um a, a good bit good bit more more hostile in illinois um no sworn affidavits required anymore for citizens to file disciplinary complaints against police. Uh, cops may lose protection against personally paying settlements and lawsuits uh, filed by criminal suspects alleging mistreatment. And cops can now lose their state certification to work based on anonymous complaints. There's also basically an end to cash bail 
uh, next year uh, statewide, although that has an asterisk or two next to it in extreme conditions. The judge can still impose cash bail. And yeah, it has swung too far to the left. We're losing cops at a dramatic pace. We're outpacing the national um, rate of uh, police resignations, according to our state uh, police chiefs association. Uh, a lot of cops are going to Florida or other states. We got a real problem here. And I think the Democrats are realizing this, but the main part of their legislative package, and, and there are three or four parts to it, but the main part is to create a task force to study the problem. And that makes me sad because I think the problem is we don't want to let police police anymore. And also in a lot of low-income, high-crime areas, fathers have flown the coop right from the get-go. And I think that whole conversation, especially in progressive uh, climes like Chicago, that's a third rail to talk about the role of fathers. And it shouldn't be. You know, there are permanent things in life and the importance of the nuclear family, the two-parent nuclear family is huge. Just like reading to your children and introducing vocabulary at an early age and making sure that by third grade they're really on top of math and reading because if you don't have that stuff locked down by third grade things aren't going to go well in your life so you know we're we're missing the basics here and trying to to patch large expensive bandages on um a problem that really has some roots in cultural decay and moral decay uh which is advanced by our political class in fact they're more greatly responsible for that decay than any buddy out in the community so i realize those are strong words but you know we we really kind of need to get back to the basics in a lot of ways i think well we have certainly lost a lot of role models in our communities over the years and states have become more partisan as one state reacts to another state's legislation and people are sort of self-sorting and in this world where we all meet together virtually there seems to be fewer places where we come across people with uh, differing ideas and kind of get to a point where we all come together to compromise. Instead, we're just um, sort of fighting amongst ourselves, and the real root issues have been lost in the fog of war, and those issues are those that you are actual, that you just mentioned the breakdown of the nuclear family the um, very basic things that frankly used to be uh, Clinton Democrat sort of uh, primary values that were uh, espoused from one end of the Democratic Party to the other end of the Republican Party but um, somewhere along the way we have definitely lost that Yeah, and I speak as a cantankerous independent. That's my political affiliation. I mean, I was raised working on Democratic campaigns in Chicago in the 1960s and 70s and even worked on some in Seattle when I moved out there. But I miss Clinton Democrats and Blue Dog Democrats, too. There, There's still a few of them out there, and I guess the U.S. Senate. And there, there are what I call charter school Democrats. I've seen them. But I think getting out and crossing that divide and getting away from the digital forum only is important. And you spoke about that well, and I had a chance to do that 
um, when I did field work for my book, you know, in the place where I grew up on the south side of Chicago. And I heard from a lot of people uh, that I visited with and, you know, sat with for quite a while and talked to and looked them in the eye, blacks, Latinos. I heard a lot of things. I heard about the need for greater police accountability and integrity, which is an important point at the same time that we want to give them freedom to do their jobs. And I heard a lot about the importance of of the family and religious faith. I also got to see uh, things that are working in terms of job training uh, and even encouragement of uh, small business formation. Um, so there's there's quite a lot of good news out there. And if we can get away from our online flame wars, it's it's great to go out there and, and get a look at it yourself. And I I'm, was blessed to have a chance to do that and then to write about that in my book. Matt Rosenberg is the senior editor of Wirepoints. He's the author of What's Next Chicago, Notes of a Pissed-Off Native Sud. He has worked in journalism, public policy, and communications for more than three decades. You can find this latest column talking about mass incarceration uh, on wirepoints.org. Matt, thank you so much for the time. We hope to catch up with you again soon. You bet, Will. Thank you very much for having me on.